0: Welcome to this month's episode of the Cordell & Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast, a combination of views, news, and tips relating to topics and situations relevant to guys going through divorce. In this edition, we will be focusing on how allegations of domestic violence impact divorce proceedings, including how to react if you have a restraining order filed against you, what to do if you fear your spouse will file false allegations, and discuss how men can also be victims of abuse. To start us off, Cordell & Cordell divorce attorney, Carrie Westbrook, explains the immediate and far-reaching ramifications a protection order has on divorce, including how protection orders are often issued based on the claims of a single party with essentially no supporting evidence required.
1: I think the most important role that we'll talk about today is not assuming that the legal system is gonna protect you. Many clients come into my office and have protection orders issued against them that make them uh, removed from their marital home. It keeps them from contacting their spouse, and it oftentimes will also include the children, and it will prevent them from contacting their children. Most of the time, these these protection orders can also include criminal implications uh, because charges will be filed related to the incident that gave rise to the protection order. So whether it's an assault or a verbal threat or something else that the opposing party will allege against you that you did, supposedly did to her or the children, um, those issues can really affect and detrimentally affect your divorce case as well as your life in general if you've got criminal implications. Um, So in regard to not assuming that the legal system will protect you, it's a really important principle. Most clients will assume That if they did nothing wrong, then they're going to be vindicated from those kinds of allegations. They feel like that as long as the opposing party doesn't have evidence that they did anything, then ultimately they're going to be absolved of those charges. And I'm here to tell you that in our system, in most jurisdictions, a person's testimony concerning abuse or threats or assault or any of those items is sufficient to issue a protection order and is also sufficient to support criminal charges related to those allegations. So um, you don't need photographs, you don't have to have, you know, five different witnesses that corroborate, that you supposedly did these things to your wife or your children. Um, It really just takes her claiming that it occurred, and as long as she's believable in her story, the court is um, able, whether it's in a criminal or a civil context, to to basically issue orders regarding her allegations. Um, So you have to be very, very careful in these cases to make sure that you don't put yourself in any kind of compromising position. And you also have to be sure if you're already involved with either either a criminal attorney or a family attorney to let your attorney know that these allegations are possible from uh, from the opposing party. So you wanna be sure early and often in your cases to be aware of those issues and to strategize with your attorney on how to foreclose those problems from taking place. You don't want to ever assume that the legal system will protect you in that regard because unfortunately um, probably in 75% of cases where I've seen protection orders issued, um, there's probably about 60% of those that I'm about 100% certain didn't occur. And even in those instances, I've still seen judges issue orders that were detrimental to my client because they believed the opposing
0: party's story. While women are most often portrayed as the victims of domestic violence with men as the offenders, that is clearly not always the case, and new research backs that up. Dazdivorce.com editor Sean Garrison recently spoke with Dallas Morningstar reporter Diane Jennings about a series she covered exploring the issues men face when they are the victims of domestic violence, which includes a lack of societal awareness to the point where male victims are often disregarded when they file reports.
2: Can you start by giving us a breakdown of the numbers you looked at while researching information regarding male domestic violence victims? about how many males are finding themselves victims each year.
3: Yeah, um, there are several reports out there. This this is something that's beginning to be studied more often. And um, part of the problem with all domestic violence statistics is how you define what is violence and how you define who is, you know, what the relationship is and so on and so forth. But um, I think probably one of the the best numbers is that one in seven men um, has experienced some severe physical violence by an intimate partner is the way they phrase it and that includes being hit with a fist or something hard beaten or slammed against something at some point in their lifetime so it's uh, the number that that i think is, is is probably fairly highly regarded as one in seven
2: right and you wrote about how it's often difficult for men to find help because there just aren't as many resources out there for them What are some of the factors that play into this and make it difficult for them to find the adequate support that they need?
3: Well, I think the, the problem, the reason that there are not a lot of resources is that this isn't a problem that has really been brought to the forefront as just like with any social issue, the when when, the, when an issue comes up, when there's a group of people that are willing to stand up and say, we've got a problem here. And um, in this instance, it's very hard, um, it's hard for any domestic violence victim to come forward. It's very hard for male domestic violence victims to come forward. Um, and there are there are lots of reasons for that. It's something that society doesn't really recognize that men can be victims because it goes against what we think um, of, of victims, and also because um, even a lot of men don't recognize themselves as victims, and, that's, and so I think there's a real education process that's going to have to go on before before men are willing to come forward. It's hard for a man to step forward and say, hey, my, I'm a victim of domestic violence because that goes against what we think the concept of, of, of a man is, and it's not, not as a victim, and so I, I think this is, there's a real education process that's going to have to go on before before this gets a lot of attention
2: sure and you touched on it there but there's also a cultural element and some stereotypes that come into play with this issue Um, in your story you mentioned some law enforcement officials who even found it difficult to believe that men could be victims of domestic violence can you elaborate on what you discovered about these stereotypes and what role they play in this issue
3: yeah I think there's there again there is a problem um of recognizing men as victims because um in the first place, one thing is a lot of men don't recognize themselves as victims and um and so that's that's one thing but then, as far as people in the system um one of the biggest problems that we have is that because men most men are bigger than than most women um even if um a woman does start it it's generally the woman who's going to Suffer the effects more. That's one of the problems with with those statistics. Is is men may be subject to domestic violence, but they're not injured as often because they're generally larger than the than the woman. So we we still you know we will see a picture in the movie or on television of a woman slapping a man, um, and it's just kind of you know, laughed at. People are like, well, there she goes again or whatever. And so, um, I think that um, for police officers it's really difficult when they answer a domestic violence call because if if there are two people and even if it has been mutual violence and both of them are involved, generally it's going to be the woman who suffers um, a physical injury more than the man. And so, for police officers it's a hard, it's a hard call because Yes, there may be mutual violence going on, but there is going to be one who may be injured more than the other. And so that's, that's kind, of, kind of one of the biggest problems. And so I think that, um, you know, I talked to several men who, who said, you know, well, she started it. It doesn't really matter who started it. It's a little bit like your mother tells you, it doesn't matter who starts it. It matters who ends up getting hurt. And so I think that that's one of the biggest problems. Absolutely. And is there anything else you found noteworthy or
2: interesting while working on this story?
3: Yeah there are there are a couple of uh, women who are studying this and who are who are you know really interested in in bringing this to the forefront and I think that that's terrific news. Um overall though I think again it's just going to have to be it's like the whole issue of domestic violence is so much more complex than people realize and so this particular aspect of it I think is something that's going to require even more education.
0: One of the biggest mistakes men make when going through a divorce is moving out of the marital home as it can create several additional problems with finances and custody. However, Cordell and Cordell divorce attorney Carrie Westbrook explains that under certain circumstances, such as concerns that your spouse will file false claims of abuse, it may be a better choice to remove yourself from that possibility.
1: Generally, it's strategically advantageous to stay in the home when you're going through a divorce, particularly if there are children involved, you don't want to be the one leaving the home and leaving the children there with the other spouse because it can, implica- it can have implications related to your custody uh, battle later. Um, however, what I'm here to talk to you about is concerning protection orders and family violence issues. If those issues are in your case, you have to be very, very careful about following just the general rule to stay in the house. It may not always be the best course, even though generally that is a good idea. You have to really make that judgment call and consider all the ramifications. For example, I have a lot of clients come in and they've said, hey, my wife has threatened me that if I you know, do this or do that. She's going to call the police and say that I hit her. She's going to call the police and report me or say I abused the kids or whatever it is. Those kinds of allegations are extremely common in custody and divorce cases. And if you've got a wife or an opposing party making those kinds of threats, you want to begin to be very meticulous about documenting things and making sure that you're protective of yourself. Um, further, if you really feel like you're at risk for the police being called against you by the other side who's going to allege you know violence or allege abuse, then it's really better to get out of the house. Um, certainly, it will probably have some implications concerning your custody case if there are kids involved, but it's really better to be safe than sorry on that because it doesn't take anything more than her alleging that those things occurred. the police to come and arrest you for them Um, by way of an example I've had a situation in my own cases where uh, the woman called the police and said hey three weeks ago my husband kicked me and I want to make a report the next thing I know my clients sitting in jail Um, of course according to him it never occurred nothing of the sort happened but that's what she claimed And the police didn't require her to show a photograph of of bruises. They didn't require any cooperation. They just went and arrested him. So if you feel like, because she's threatening to do those things, that it is putting you in jeopardy of being arrested, then you probably are better served to go ahead and leave the house. You'll wanna coordinate, of course, with your attorney before you make that decision, but you wanna be sure to inform the attorney that those issues are on the table so that he or she can better advise you on whether it's best to stay or go in that context.
0: As mentioned earlier, men can also be the victims of domestic violence despite the societal stereotypes of men as abusers and women as victims. However, male victims often lack adequate professional support and resources. Dazzdivorce.com editor Sean Garrison recently spoke with Bridgewater State University associate professor Emily Douglas about her research into the male victims of domestic abuse and the challenges they face when reporting partner violence.
2: Uh, Now you, along with Dr. Hines, put together the Men's Experiences with Partner Aggression Project. Uh, Can you give us some details about what you examined with this project? Um, and as well as how you went about um, conducting the research?
4: Yeah, sure, no problem. So in our work, we've conducted two uh, two large-scale studies that have looked at male victims of partner violence who have sought help for their partner violence. So that's a really important part there, that there was some element of help-seeking on the part of the men who were experiencing the the violence, which just means that it probably was you know, it reached a, a sort of critical level or a, or a, or an important level where they felt like they needed support and assistance. So we've done, uh, these men had to have sought help in some type of way, either through the police, a domestic violence agency, domestic violence hotline, um, seen a medical professional, a mental health professional, um, or even sought help on the internet, because that's where a lot of these men seek help. So, um, so, in our research, we looked at uh, men's experiences with help seeking, and we also looked at their mental health status, their physical health status, and really how their kids are doing as well. Because, in about two thirds of cases, men who seek help for partner violence victimization um, have minor age children who they're worried about. So, the thing that can become challenging with uh, studying and researching Male, male victims of partner violence who are seeking help is, how do you find them? Because they there aren't really domestic violence agencies where men can go to. They either don't feel welcome or they sometimes aren't welcome. So we sought our men really online. Um, our research has all been carried out through online studies. Um, in our first study, we recruited over 300 men who were victims of partner violence who had sought help. And in our second study, we recruited over 600 men. Um, so we've also done some, some other work um, looking at uh, domestic violence agencies and their ability to meet the needs of underserved populations, including men. And we've also worked with an international team doing some focus groups with male victims of partner violence and maybe how their experiences differ between nations.
2: Absolutely. And can you look back and just kind of describe, I guess, what you saw as the most significant uh, findings from that research and maybe anything that kind of stood out to you as being especially surprising?
4: Yeah. You know, I think that um, what's most important about the work that we've done is being able to show through large scale research that is federally funded that male victims are a real thing and that they're present and that they want help and that they want to be heard. They want their experience to be legitimate in the eyes of professionals who help them and in the eyes of the larger community and certainly within the legal system as well. Um, Men who need help often have trouble finding help and they are often told that their um, experiences of abuse are not real, that they must somehow be responsible for the abuse that they're experiencing um, I think that it's important to acknowledge what I already said, which is that about two-thirds of men who who seek help, at least in the research that we've done, that they have minor age kids who that who they're worried about. And they're very worried about the effects that the abuse are having on the kids. They're worried about having access to them if they were to leave their abusive partner and um, and they're interested in of course protecting them from their moms. At the same time, they recognize oftentimes that these, that their kids have a relationship with their mom and they feel compelled to somehow nurture that in some way. You know, I think it's also important to say that men stay in these relationships for the same reason that women stay in these relationships, for love, for commitment, because of their children, and because they don't really have a sense of where else they would go if they left. Um, I think some other important sort of highlights are that men who experience partner violence and who who seek help, um, they look in some ways a lot of the way that women look, Um, that they are more likely to have poor physical health, that they are more likely to have uh, mental health problems, especially in the areas of depression and post-traumatic stress syndromes, Um, and that men can and are victims of sexual assault. So the last thing I'd like to add in there is um, we also looked at a phenomenon that really hasn't been studied very much in the last few decades. And we call that the um, legal administrative abuse and, um, or legal administrative partner violence. It's, and that is when one uses the legal system in some way to perpetrate abuse or control um, their partner in some way. And in terms of men, that often means um, that their female partners are making false allegations of abuse against the female partner or against the children as a way to um, continue to hurt the partner, to punish the partner, or as another means of control. Sure, and you
2: talked about the difficulty that uh, male victims often encounter when they seek help for, uh, for domestic violence. Uh, what changes need to be made um, just from a broad perspective to make sure that um, if a victim you know, is abused, that they get the shelter that they need regardless of if they're male or female?
4: Right. Right. So generally speaking, the domestic violence um, system is set up and has been set up to support women who are victims. And we wouldn't want to change that in any way. We don't want to take services away from uh, people who are currently, women who are currently victimized and who are receiving supports and services. Um, That said, men do need more support than the help that is available to them. Um, Men get the most support when they seek help from um, when we're talking about formal services, the most help that they get comes from medical professionals, mental health professionals. um, And unfortunately they rate the help that they see from domestic violence helplines, agencies and the police to be actually not especially helpful. So I think really this is about um, training and education and bringing more awareness to the fact that men can be victims. There's been some of this in the media. But um, those who are working in the field, there's a great need to train them around who it is that can be a victim. And I think that actually the more discussions that we have in this country around um, sexual orientation and so forth help to bring a lot of this to light, really that folks from all walks of life um, need help, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation. And I think that this is just sort of the next step in, in terms of helping domestic violence victims get the kind of help that they need.
2: Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Emily?
4: No, I think that this really covers it. I think that really the take-home message here is that men can be and are victims of partner violence, sometimes life-threatening partner violence, and that they're just as deserving of help as anybody else would be, and that right now they're not really able to get the services that they need.
0: Since domestic violence allegations during divorce can lead to not only civil charges but also criminal charges, it may be necessary for you to seek a criminal attorney to help handle the additional issues you may face. Cordell & Cordell attorney Carrie Westbrook explains how there can be a crossover effect with the testimony between family and criminal courts and why divorce attorneys are typically not suited for dealing with the criminal aspects of these allegations.
1: It is extremely important, especially if you're charged criminally, that you consult with a criminal attorney immediately. Even though in our cases, as a family attorney, I can give you great advice concerning family law issues and divorce and custody issues, generally family attorneys aren't going to be in the best position to advise you as to the criminal implications that might arise concerning those kinds of allegations. So you always want to be sure to consult with that attorney to make sure you're not waiving any rights. This comes into play in particular in regard to testimony. In most cases, you will be required, in the civil case, particularly in family law, you'll be required to testify. And if you're asked questions about an incident related to family violence or related to assault allegations or anything of that nature you would be generally required to testify about. That information can be used against you in the criminal court if you were to be charged criminally, and that can be used uh, against you in that context. So you want to be careful that whatever you're testifying about in the civil matter isn't going to negatively impact your criminal case. So the best way to deal with that is to consult with a criminal attorney and or have that attorney consult with the family attorney as well so that we can kind of coordinate and strategize on the best way to protect your rights. Um, A lot of people just think, well, I'll just plead the fifth and I'm not going to just, I just won't testify and that way I'm protected. If I'm charged criminally, then I've pled the fifth and nothing can happen to me. The problem in the civil case, which are family law cases, in pleading the fifth is in most jurisdictions, The court is entitled to assume that you are guilty of what they said you're guilty of. So if you plead the fifth, the court can then assume that you did what the other side said you did. So um, while you may feel like pleading the fifth is a way to kind of get around that issue, it really doesn't protect you there. So it's very important in our cases, if those criminal issues arise, that you're consulting with that attorney and that you're having that criminal attorney consult with your family attorney. And that way your rights are protected on both sides of the fence.
0: That's all we have time for in this month's Cordell & Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast. Hopefully this gives you more insight into the impact of domestic violence or protection orders on divorce proceedings, how to react if you worry your spouse will file false allegations of abuse, and helps raise awareness that men can also be victims of domestic violence. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for interviews, news, tips, and more covering a range of topics facing men during divorce. You can also find a number of resources on our website at cordellcordell.com, as well as our informational sites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com.